In just about every area of life, we have the same idea, and it's this, it's simple, that if we could make it as easy on people as possible, it would be better. And now, we think that in part, I think that in part, because I would like it to be easy. Just going to say that out front. But really, if you think about it, I mean, if you make school easy, easier, more children will pass, right? If you give all the children trophies, then it will be, you know, more kids will get trophies than just the one team that wins. You can lower your expectation really in almost every area of life. If you sell something, maybe you're, you have a company that makes a product and you sell it for $5, just think how many more you could sell at $4. Not only could you sell them at $4, you could make up the difference in volume. But even just a moment's reflection suggests that this is a bad idea, that this really is not true, that, that lowering the bar is not really the best way. Yet the idea persists, and it persists especially when we apply it to our faith. I mean, it's very common for me to hear things or suggestions or, I mean, there was an entire um, sort of uh, way of thinking in, when I began ministry that said, if you just make church more enjoyable, more people will come. Probably something to that. If you don't expect anybody to do anything uncomfortable, like even as uncomfortable as filling out a connection card maybe, then they'll like it better and more people will come. I mean, if this were not true, I would love for this not to be true of myself. This is my struggles with me. It's not with any of you. Because instinctively, we want to hide the hard parts. You know, come on Sunday morning, don't feel like you need to serve anywhere else. And you, you don't need to join a life group. I mean, that's for the ones who just are, want something extra. When it comes time to give, don't worry about it. Somebody else will do it. Missions or global outreach, that's for those who are really committed. And then loving your neighbor and you know, sharing Jesus with the people around you, you should probably get some other things squared away first. Now, I'm going to admit it. I mean, that is my instinct. And it's only one of the ways that my instincts don't line up with Jesus. So this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16. In the hopes that your instincts will line up with Jesus better than mine, and whether they do or not, this text will help us. Because... In Matthew 16, Jesus, you might say Jesus describes his ethic, or Jesus describes the level of difficulty 
that he is comfortable asking his followers to engage. So I'll begin reading Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So here, very simply, to follow Jesus in the way of the cross is to find true life and eternal kingdom happiness. The shortest distance between you and true eternal happiness is to deny yourself Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Here, the upside down way that Jesus has been teaching us in all the book of Matthew has never been so clear because He calls us to give ourselves up to gain ourselves, to surrender our life to win it. And so I want you to to slow down and take a look at these verses because it's worth a closer examination. Look at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've just come off of Jesus' rebuke of Peter for minding the things of man rather than the things of God. Jesus has confronted his mindset, and now Jesus confronts their actions. And he begins with an assumption that I want to make explicit so you also agree with the assumption or you deny the assumption, but I want it to be explicit so you know what to do with it. And that is, Jesus says that if anyone would come after me, And really, it's stronger than anyone desires to come after me. If anybody wants to come after me. So if you're longing to come after Jesus, this is for you. If you, your heart's longing is to get in step with Jesus and live life like Jesus wants you to live it, This is for you. This is not for those who want to be merely spectators or fans. This is not for those who would add Jesus to an already fulfilled life. This is for those who want to come after Jesus. And Jesus already told us where he's going, hasn't he? He said, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. 
The place to start before you read anything else is to ask yourself that question. Do I really desire to follow Jesus? Or is this just sort of negotiable for me? Because if you really desire to follow Jesus, then he's got something for you this morning. In fact, he gives three separate commands. Well, separate. They all lump together. But there are three different commands. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So the first one, let him deny himself. I think this is the summary idea. This is the big idea here that Jesus would share with you. Simply, that following Jesus means not following yourself. Denying yourself means saying no to yourself. And so how do you do with um, telling yourself no? How do you How do you like it when you hear that from yourself, right? Me, I have little arguments with myself. Well, you shouldn't do that. But I want to do that. Well, you shouldn't do that. I have this little conversation. Jesus said, deny yourself. And it is right here, at this point, that Christianity is foreign to the rest of the world. Because in a world of expressive individualism, Christians can be seen as opposing the ultimate good because Jesus says you cannot bow at the altar of self-fulfillment. In a world of self-expression and um, self-enjoyment and self-fulfillment, Jesus says, you have to deny yourself. In other words, for the Christian, the self is not sovereign. Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should do it. Just because you can imagine it doesn't mean you should pursue it. Now it's worth slowing down here and and having you think about this. Because I have heard Christians described as evil. Primarily because they uphold, you might say, a Christian sexual ethic. And that is fine. And it is biblical. And it is there. And you should hold to it. But... What makes Christians appear evil is not that. It's that they oppose the centrality of self. The idea that self is supreme. And that comes straight from this passage from Jesus when he says, if you would come after me, deny yourself. Yourself is not the boss. So it isn't really the sexual ethic that is unpopular. It's the determination that self is not at the center. Because you must submit yourself and your identity and everything else 
to Jesus. And that is an unpopular idea. Now some of you can look at it on the one hand and say, oh, well, yes, of course. But I want to suggest to you that it's the same in principle as what many of us disliked about our experience with COVID. If you remember all of the things that went through your brain back then, one chief among them, for me and for many others, was that no one, not the government, not anyone else, should be able to tell me what to do. It should be left to every individual to decide. As soon as you go there, you are in principle saying self is sovereign. And you, or all of us, are making the self-actualizing claim the same one that everybody else makes. That really the most important thing is that you express yourself. That you get to act as an individual agent yourself. The idol of the American way of life is self. And Jesus starts there. If you would come after me, deny yourself. And until we are ready to deny ourselves, we are not ready to follow Jesus. The very thing that people fear is the very thing that Jesus says they must do, isn't it? The very thing I fear is it's I'm not going to get to express myself. Jesus said, no, deny yourself. And then he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up your cross. I want you to know, without a full review, you're welcome to make one if you'd like, that Jesus has not talked to his disciples about his own cross yet. So Jesus talks about your cross before he talks about his own. And he's telling them, you deny yourself and you take up your cross. Which is an issue. Because the only way they're going to identify a cross is with a criminal. With someone who is on their way to being executed. See, it was common practice, like Jesus did, for the um, convicted criminal to carry their implement of execution with them for the quarter mile or however far it was from where they were sentenced to where they were executed. And what Jesus is talking about is that Space and time right there. And what that means then is not, oh, let's do the Jesus thing. This means let's do the last few moments of a criminal's life thing together. Take up your cross. To take up your cross is to take up a one-way ticket 
that does not lead you to your best life now. Now, if I didn't like self-denial, I really don't like this. Because I'm American. I expect to win. I think, I think that's what things are about, is winning, right? Winners do not take up their cross. That's what losers do. It is an admission of defeat, and it represents the final steps to the end. Now, we've used this before. You've probably heard people talk about taking up their cross or your cross to bear. I mean, your cross to bear is not your mild inconvenience. Your cross to bear is not your bunions. It's not some painful event in your past that you struggle to get over. Your cross is not your being a jerk to people and them not liking you for it. I do think there are a lot of Christians who think that's what they have to do, that they have to create their own cross by their own stupidity. Taking up your cross means a death to your future. That's what it means to take up your cross. To take up your cross means that the life you had planned out for yourself is over. It's not just difficulty. It's death to your dreams. That's what it means to be on that little walk from the sentencing to the execution to take up your cross. So what is it that you're looking forward to? What is it that you're dreaming about? What would you do if those things disappeared? Could you love Jesus anyway? I want to suggest to you that you could. In fact, it would be harder for you to love them, love Jesus if you got all those dreams fulfilled. To take up your cross is to be resigned to a future that Jesus marks out for you rather than one that you mark out for yourself. It is a surrender of everything that's coming up in the future, maybe 30 minutes from now and beyond, to Jesus. Such that every decision, every identity, every dream, everything that you are planning on submits to Jesus. As though you were carrying your cross on the way to execution. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And then the third command here is follow. Follow Him. The purpose of the self-denial and the cross-bearing is not just so that you're miserable and unhappy. Though I think that sometimes we approach it that way. The purpose of the self-denial and the cross-bearing is so that you follow Jesus. That you take the way of Jesus instead of your own way. You take the steps that Jesus takes that the things that Jesus prioritizes, you prioritize. 
that the people Jesus loves, you love. That the kind of choices Jesus makes, you make. And so to follow Jesus is to identify with Him. It is to wrap yourself and your identity up in Jesus. Which means you don't identify, first of all, with your job or your family or your ethnic background or your political persuasion. You identify with Jesus. And so, you have it straight from Him, don't you? If any of you, if any of us would like to come after Jesus, let me tell you how. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. Now, I am going to be honest about that. That is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to preach, just so you know, and have some level of sympathy for your pastor. But it's not an easy thing to do. And so you, you've all got to evaluate and say, can I do that? Is this for me? Or is this just for those who maybe are amped up about Jesus or something? And to help you sort that out, Jesus gives you reasons why you should consider following Him on this path. So I want you to, I want you to notice this. Verses 25 and 26 and 27 all start with the same little word. Look down at your Bible. Verse, verse 25, for, 26, for, 27, for. The little word for there is your reason why you should consider this. You should consider it for these things are true. You should deny yourself, take up your cross and follow because these things are true. You need to know these things in order to decide about following and about denying yourself and about taking up your cross. So here's what they are. These three reasons that you should consider this. First one, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he starts off the same way here that he started off before. He starts off with the desire. Do you desire to save your life? Assuming that, well, of course you do. Who who wants to just ruin their life? Who is motivated to say, how bad can I make my life? Probably none of us. I hope none of us. Please don't be motivated in that direction. His assumption is that if you want to gain your life, here's how. If you want to lose your life on there, then here's how. If you desire to save your life, then he says, what you need to do is to lose it. If you want to gain it or save it, you need to lose it. In other words, this future life, this life that you imagined for yourself, you need to be willing to set that aside or surrender it so that you can have this new life that Jesus offers. Very much the same language of cross-bearing. 
Then he said, if you make the choice to lose your life, here's what you get. You actually will find it. In the process of losing your life, you will discover it. You'll stumble across it. It won't be maybe what you thought you would go after, but there it is. It's in the losing that you find your life. It's in the giving away of it that you gain it. It's in the dying that you live, and it's in the suffering that you can rejoice. And I'm just going to tell you this, because you already know it, right? That is not common sense. That is not the way that I would make it if I was trying to lower the bar and make it as easy as possible. And so his first reason, what's that? Why deny yourself and take up your cross? Because when you do that, that's when you find yourself. If you're really worried about self, you will find yourself, your life, when you give it up. That's the first reason. Verse 26 is the second. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in return for his soul? The second four suggests that you are equipped and able to do the economic calculations necessary to make a good decision. That you yourself can run the numbers. And in running the numbers, you can do the calculation. If you gain the whole world, that's a good number. That's a really great number. In fact, not just part of the world, not just most of it, all of it. You gain the whole thing, that's a really great return on your investment. But then you lose your soul and you got nothing. If you're not around to enjoy all of your gain, it's worthless to you. You cannot give anything in exchange for your soul. What price would you give for your life? He says, whatever you're going to say is too low. So he says, so that you don't make a bad investment, you want to give your life away rather than try and save it. You don't want to try and gain the whole world. You want to try and gain your life. That's your better decision. Then the third reason there in verse 27 is for the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. Then He will repay each person according to what He has done. So in this economic decision you're going to make, you need to factor in the eternal reward for the cross. The final four here is that Jesus will return to you a reward that will compensate you for any loss you may incur because you have taken up your cross. It will compensate you for any self-denial that you uh, undergo. Jesus will make sure that you are repaid. That's the language, isn't it? It's economic language. He will repay each person. And it isn't just that He'll repay each person. It's that He will make sure that your sacrifice of self-denial or cross-bearing or following will be repaid. And just so that you don't wonder 
Because if you're like me, you wonder, can he, re- can he really do it? Can he really make that trade-off, make that promise good? Look at what it says. It says that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay. In other words, his qualifications for this repayment are good. It's not like I'm going to scrape together all of my life savings and maybe I'll have enough for three of you to be compensated. It's like he's coming with his angels in the glory of his Father. It is this very language that is so clear to the people who are Jesus that they crucified him for it. Jesus was, you might say, he could have gotten off the hook until he told the Sanhedrin, one day you're going to see the Son of Man coming in all his glory. Almost exactly the same language as this. And they said, that's blasphemy, crucify him. He's claiming that he himself is God. Get rid of him. They understood this to be a reference to Daniel chapter 7 where he is with the Ancient of Days able to render judgment and reward to anyone. Well, then the other thing that you just need to see in this passage is that just in case you're still not clear, verse 28 says, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And this just points ahead to chapter 17 where Jesus is up on the mountain and He's transformed before them so that they get a preview of His glory. Just in case you're not sure it's going to be worth it to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Let me give you a preview. And He opens the window, you might say, to heaven so they can see for the first time that yes, in fact, The resurrected life, the kingdom life, is going to be amazing. And so that's the reason we're going to pick this up and keep going in Matthew chapter 17 and Easter because this is a picture of Jesus and His kingdom. Chapter 17 is a picture of what life is like after the resurrection. It gives us a vision for His kingdom that is a vision we're exchanging our life for right now. So we'll see more of that next week. But if you would take seriously the words of Jesus today, then He's going to challenge us to follow Him with every decision we make about the future. He's going to make it harder, not easier. He's going to raise the bar, not lower it. And I wonder, why does Jesus... Why is Jesus... um, Inclination to go the opposite way of mine. I want to make it easier. He wants to make it harder. Why is his instinct to ask more rather than to ask less? And I believe it's because he understands that one person walking in the footsteps of Jesus is worth a stadium full of spectators. And so this morning I want you to think about what Jesus is telling you as you hear him say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow I can't tell you what he's telling you, what that looks like to your dreams and your ambitions. But you need to come to grips with it yourself. This morning, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And I would suggest to you that it's a good idea for you to take a few moments and talk to the Lord about this. 
Do you really want to come after him? Are you really ready to deny yourself? Do you really believe him that it's worth it? And as you think about those things, a cross looms large in each of our choices. But none of us, when we think about the cross, none of us follow or none of us feel anything that Jesus hadn't already felt. There was this sense, the same sense of foreboding that hung over this Passover dinner that Jesus shared with his disciples as he was about to take up his cross. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but all the things the cross might mean to your future, it meant to Jesus' future. It meant that he would never marry, that he would never have children, that he would never travel, that he would never be rich, that he would never retire. That's what it meant when he took up his cross. But it also meant that the awfulness of sin, which he had never experienced, would rest on his shoulders, that he would bear the judgment of the Father on the sin of the world so that those of us who would take the challenge that we read about this morning could be forgiven from those sins so that we might be made right with God apart from what we deserve. So that we might find a place in the kingdom of heaven that we can only imagine. 